Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast Podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our awesome guest is Nick Myers, VP of Design and Research at Patreon, and we're going to talk about running a design vision program today. This show is brought to you by Userlist, an email automation platform for SaaS companies. On board, engage and nurture your customers as well as marketing leads. To follow the best practices, download our free printable email planning worksheets at useless.com slash worksheets. Hi, Nick. Hi, nice to meet you. We're glad to have you here. Please give us a primer on your impressive career prior to starting at Patreon, because you've only been there for like the last six months or so. I've been practicing design for about 26 years in the Bay Area. My first job was designing games for kids with learning disabilities. And I've had sort of a history of leaning into projects where programs have been very mission-oriented or focused on meaningful design. And that's sort of really been has been what's charted my career. But I think my where really where I learned a lot about the discipline was working in a UX agency called Cooper. It was one of the first UX agencies established in the world. You know, invented personas, known for programs like goal-directed design, wrote a lot of process books, you know, written with a lot of process around UX design at the time. They were pretty groundbreaking for the industry. And my, you know, my background is really visual design. I, you know, but I ended up running Cooper after about eight years. But really, that's where I learned the fundamentals of being a great researcher and that really inspiring the way I thought about design and doing great design. I went to Fitbit for four years and joined there when it was very much in the early days. You know, I joined and we were designing you know, the first trackers with a team of about four designers. And by the time I left, it was about 50 designers for us all <laughs> up when we were adv- invented sort of many different experiences there, whether it was health experiences, social groups and platform experiences. We did games, obviously badges were very popular, but also all the device experiences on the digital side, uh, my team was responsible for as well. So lots of, lots of change happened while I was there. Then went to Trulia joined there because of the mission to help people discover neighborhoods and did work there around vision and design to really try to transform the company with a new product strategy and new brand identity, which was really successful. Went to Facebook from there, joined with similar ambitions to like really help make it a more meaningful experience and joined actually the search team, which was probably the most terrifying program or problem because it was so massive. And you know, it's just for billions of people, it's just a really hard thing to get my head around. And I didn't know that I was going to be able to accomplish much there, but ended up turning search trends in a really positive way that uh, had falling usage for a number of years. And we were able to turn that around. And then also as part of being there, I was ended up leading programs around things like interests, cultural relevance. I supported the news team through 2020 and then also supported various community products. And then I came to Patreon really to help creators create a world and a platform around inspiration and creativity that's super inspiring 
kind of comes back to like my original goals in my career, which was, hey, I, I love art, I love painting, I love drawing, but I, I can't, I don't think I can, you know, accomplish that in my career and make a, a you know a reasonable living. Um, so I always felt like, well, I'd go into commercial art, and that would be the kind of way that I would make make a living while still doing stuff that I enjoy. And so for it to become now a kind of huge part of my career to help others achieve what they truly want to do um, feels kind of exciting to be in this in this place at this time 20, 30 years later. I'm curious, do you have your own Patreon account? Uh, I just <laughs> came up with this question, very creative question. <laughs> I, I have sort of a slow, I have like a private account that I'm working on. Uh-huh but nothing public. I don't really have the time to do painting or things like that. And I obviously don't have a following or anything either. I'm not a particularly outgoing person. I tend to be a bit more introverted, but I'm certainly trying to work on that more in the spirit of understanding the platform better, you know, making it better, more from the perspective of, of Patreon than anything I'm doing personally. If that's okay to share, how large is the design team at Patreon that you're leading? And we've got some interesting practices going on. Nothing revolutionary, as you say, but ways you co-create with your customers. That's pretty impressive. Tell us more. Yeah. So the design team is made up of the product design team, the brand design team, and user research. And right now we're at about 30 all, all up with goals to hire you know, more folks in, in the new year. And so, and the product design team is about 15 or so people. We've hired a lot of folks in the last year, so I'm not sure exactly if that's the exact number, but we're kind of a small team that has come along over the last, you know, 18 months from what was a very, very small team of like a couple of folks. So we're growing pretty rapidly in that regard. I mean, we're really thinking deeply about how do we live our kind of core value of being creator first? And we can really consider this one of our differentiators. For one thing, Jack Conti, who is our CEO, is a creator. He's really credited with starting the entire sort of company itself when he realized that it was really hard to be rewarded monetarily with your efforts through other channels. So that's sort of the origin story of Patreon. But for us, like the, the real question is, how do, we, how do we do that from a research perspective? How do we do that from a design perspective? How do we ensure that we're really capturing deep understanding from our you know, primary users as we were building? And so the real, the, the real sort of effort and focus there is, how do we co-develop our product alongside creators and ensure that we get the, re- the best experience possible? There's a few ways that we're doing that. Again, I think I think most good consumer or good product development companies should be doing these types of things. Those are such like we do co-design with creators. We obviously are doing user research with different cohorts of creators based on different projects and programs we're trying to run. So just understanding their needs, their frustrations, their pain points is, is a big area that we lean into. But how we co-develop and share ideas, there are, there are ways through research that we can create stuff together that I think is really meaningful. And obviously, we want to leverage an audience of people that are ultimately extremely creative, 
extremely entrepreneurial and probably going to stretch our minds and an understanding of what we could do in a good way while also understanding the value of Patreon and what makes it unique versus others. So it will help us understand more about how we can really resonate with their needs as well as differentiate as a product and as a company. We also do a lot to partner with creators, especially certain types where we have programs, where we have communities and they can chat and understand what's going on. And so I'm part of those communities. We have like platforms where we chat and we can see what matters for them and we can stay connected. So there's kind of a pretty regular means of connection that goes, I think, way beyond general research practices. We also have various groups that can be, you know, we use as advisory groups to help us with decision-making. And then, and then we also will preview our products or do pre-releases of products with small groups of creators as well so that we don't launch stuff too early or we make sure that we understand any potential risks or flaws in our work before we go to a full launch. And even just recently, video is a good example where we've essentially just launched the video product. We did early experiences with certain creators around video where we understood what was important and then that gave us the chance to iterate and change and evolve the product before we actually officially launched it. Even now, the launch is a pre-release, so it's not even to everybody yet, but gives everyone a sense of what's to come and can kind of help us start to build on it and improve it and iterate it as we go versus, you know, throwing it out there and assuming it's right. So going back to our topic, the design vision programs, let's zoom out and first talk about what such program means and what kind of business would benefit from implementing one? Yeah, I think a, a design vision program in its sort of purest sense is a provocation of where a company can go, whether it's with the company strategy or it's the product strategy or business strategy. And through a design program, you can ask the right kind of questions, you can align around the right types of opportunities, and you can generate ideas to solve for them that brings the group or company along with that and can kind of be an inspirational point for progress that again, sort of really evokes inspiration, can create energy, can create a lot of innovation and sort of motivation for teams to be excited about what's ahead and can often spark a lot of new, new thinking, new programs, new projects that then go into development and see the light of day. Um, so the program itself isn't, you know, the end product, but it's usually a spark of inspiration for teams and, and creates the sort of aligned momentum that a company often benefits from. What are the components of one as in, like, how does it manifest in the world? Like, how does it start, et cetera? Yeah. I mean, there's a few schools of thought here. Some, some people believe that a company should do some form of design vision work every couple of years, just of like, hey, where are we going as a company? And let's think out the next five or 10 years. That, that I think is one reason why a program can exist. Other reasons are that the company is just maybe stuck or there's like high priority initiatives that need additional strategic thinking. Um, and so those, those are really what I would consider more intervention-based reasons why something can exist or, or can, can start up. And usually, like I mentioned, it's because there's a need 
there's a realization that maybe a team or a group or, or the company itself maybe needs an injection of strategy and design thinking, or, you know, there's just simply high priority programs that the company uh, believes is, you know, extremely important and will, will set a tone for success for them to differentiate in the market. Is there a certain size of a company that's associated with this? Like, is it for small startups? Is it for established startups? Is it for huge enterprises? I guess there's there's probably an assumption there that when you even say a design vision program, it could sound huge, right? Programs are it often definitely like does. It big, definitely right? does. <laughs> I guess the way the way I think of it is it's is more of an orchestrated approach whereby you're doing a couple of things. One is you're spending deep thinking time on the problems you're trying to solve for. And then you're aligning around those problems and sort of saying, hey, these are the opportunities we want to go after and let's let's all be on the same page. Let's hold hands as a group and we're going to go down that path. And then you're investing time generating a bunch of ideas that solve for those problems that have the opportunity to, you know, really change the sort of direction of the of the work. And then obviously you're prototyping and iterating and getting feedback along the way. But it's it's the point that you're you're investing the time throughout and getting much more thought and process up front, which teams tend to skip over and not not invest enough time in. You know, it's often a case where, you know, you're asked by your product manager or your team or your you know leader, hey, we need to create this new feature, we need to work on this new project go do it. And, you know, there's probably some upfront work that a team might do, but the notion of the design vision program is more that it's, it's work where there's more structure and approach to that, uh, thinking that creates, you know, much better outcomes at the end of the day. Now, can a small company or a big company do it? The answer is yes. I mean, a small company can do it just as well as a big company. You don't obviously have maybe as many people to bring along on the journey. But, you know, small companies do it through the forms of design sprints. You know, those are, those are very easy to do. You know, it's a, what I would consider an accelerated version of a design vision program. And you may not have maybe some of the expertise on the team to do it, but just the act of alignment and identifying problems, they're just good product approaches. And I guess the point here is that it's, there's more intentionality through a program like this for design vision. Obviously, with larger companies, it's much it's it's harder because you're having to bring more people along and there's always more risk that people may reject the work um, and so the value of the or the approach to take there is that you're really trying to bring more people into the program make it a place where or make it a project where it feels like there's a lot more co-ownership because once you have that co-ownership the influence just emanates through many many people and the scale of of influence goes beyond any one person, which is where I see things light up for a company where you kind of see that the spirit of that work is, is sort of you know, manifesting everywhere. That's when I think a great program has been ultimately very, very successful. Are you currently running one at Patreon? And in your past companies, have you actually completed such programs? And I'm curious what the outcomes were. Yeah. We are definitely running, I would say, multiple smaller design vision efforts at Patreon right now. Mm -hmm. We're obviously thinking about the future of membership at Patreon and how do we create an even better experience for creators. 
a few really critical topics for us are centered around content and how do we create great content experiences for creators and their members. We also believe that community is a huge aspect of a great membership experience. And so that's an area we're starting to lean into a lot of how do we create a great membership and community experience, just like the fundamental pillars of membership that we believe are really core to a creator's success. And then we're also, you know, exploring other forms of commerce for creators to ultimately broaden their monetization opportunities that will create a better revenue stream for them, but also doing it through a direct to fan type of relationship. So there's, there's, there's ultimately a lot of work happening in those different areas. Those are happening with small teams. Um, and they're not huge company programs because Patreon is not that big as a company. It's about, you know, 350 people, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of work that we're always doing to think about how we innovate, how we move things forward. That's where we're focused. So when I was at Facebook, one of the first things I did there was run a vision program for Facebook search. I mentioned earlier how Facebook search was a product that was, you know, struggling a bit and partly because it didn't have a really crisp identity and people had very different opinions about what it should be or what it could be. And so running a two month design vision program was something that I spearheaded. That meant that I had to really socialize the idea with various other leaders within my group and within the company. It meant that we, you know, I asked a whole team of folks to come together and really go deep on understanding what the problems were and where the opportunities were and really aligning on how did we, where did we think the future of search for Facebook would go? Um, and then the team took that mandate and invent, you know, and sort of invested time in imagining and generating a bunch of ideas through user journeys and stories for where, how Facebook could search could turn up in the future. And we prototyped that, those ideas, we actually went to Chicago to do it. So we got out of the Bay area. We did that through interview. We prototyped it with research candidates in Chicago. We also took it to other countries and iterated on that work. And then from there created, you know, some overall videos and output of where the, the work would go. And, you know, that, yeah, like I said, it sort of influenced the trajectory of the whole org that resulted in a, what ended up being a two year roadmap for the team that, that helped turn the, the product around in a, in a really positive way. Was there any single insight or like change of trajectory, or is it like a systematic roadmap for the whole part of the app? Yeah, there was, there was one specific kernel of, of insight that I thought was most powerful. Facebook search had tried to be different types of search. You know, and looked at the, you know, the ecosystem, obviously you've got things like Google, you have other, you know, very popular search engines and Facebook had tried to be like that. But the challenge with that is, you know, it wasn't sort of authentic. It wasn't really leaning into Facebook's strengths. It was in many ways leaning into Facebook's weaknesses and where Facebook's strength was, was really through the community. And so for us, it was really about leaning into the notion of a social search and understanding the collective perspective of people in the community around an area where you had a question. And so our goal was to lean into that heavily, leaning into the strengths of where we thought the company could be or the product could be versus where it had tried to participate in the past. 
and that was the powerful direction that, you know, it took us time to actually align on that and discover that, which was the value I think of the upfront work. But once we, once we figured that out, you know, the trajectory of, of the company was, or the, the product was really great. Could you give us a walk through the steps of a successful vision program, like how to even start thinking about organizing one and what to do next step-by-step? Step? Yeah, I think the first step is, is the company ready for it or hungry? You know, so it's like the socializing step of, hey, I think we should do this. You know, are you in agreement? Some of it is also walking people through what it looks like and how to go about it. What are the steps? What are the requests that people will have in terms of participation? Just giving people a sense of like, hey, we're going to go through this six-week project or two-month project. This is what's going to happen along the way. These are some examples of what the output would look like. It just kind of kind of sets the stage and helps people have a better understanding and build excitement and like also have the kind of the right level of expectations. So that's generally the first step in like. And it's, you know, it's an important step, actually. I've realized when I've not done that, that it's kind of been a, <laughs> you know, an up, a much more uphill battle. Um, the second step is, is how you orchestrate it. And usually that means upfront work to understand deeply where the problems are. Usually that's who are the people we're designing for? Do we all feel deep? We have deep understanding of that, like, and, and making sure that there's alignment there. Who are the, who are the you know the most important targets we're we're trying to design for? Then it's like what what are the problems that exist? Where are the opportunities? Do we also al- align and agree on what those are? And sometimes it's you know you may have like a huge list of like twelve things that the company could do. The ideal is to really try to narrow that down to like, hey, what are the core concepts or core beliefs that we have? There's no like you know, obviously there's no like one single answer. It's always like a variance in terms of what's ultimately necessary, but just going through the process of thinking through those opportunities and, and where maybe really leaning into the needs is, is one way of looking at it. It's the needs that your community of, of users have, where we think the opportunities lie as a result, what are, you know, similar paradigms that may exist elsewhere, just to kind of give people a grounding on what that could look like. And then again, sort of aligning on where that, that the energy is, the enthusiasm is in terms of where the team spends its time. Then usually you go into like a bigger brainstorm effort. I've done that at small scale with just the core team. And I've done that with an enti- the entire company. And the value of the company doing it is it just increases the sort of participation and enthusiasm. It doesn't mean that you necessarily get like lots and lots of new groundbreaking ideas, but like the act of doing it is I think very inclusive and exciting. And it can often actually create a lot of understanding for the team. That's maybe the core team working on the the stuff that they're doing. Um, so that's an important step and, and doing that more, more broadly, I think creates, creates a lot of great value. And then for me, it's synthesizing those ideas down into what are the bigger possibilities and writing stories around them that can lead to breakthrough ideas as well. And I am not a great writer, but I found that writing out those journeys and removing a team from the UI explicitly 
is a great way to identify opportunities that maybe you hadn't considered before. And a great example, uh, when we were doing a vision program for Trulia, obviously a big part of that was like, how do you help people understand the right kind of neighborhood to discover? You could put people through like a big wizard, ask a lot of questions, you know, about what kind of neighborhood would you like? What are you looking for? But in the act of writing out the journeys, it just came, became pretty evident that if someone was moving across the country from a neighborhood in New York, truly it could ask a question of like, well, what's the neighborhood you currently like you live in in New York? And like, what do you like about it? Hey, here's some rel- you know, relatively similar neighborhoods in San Francisco that you will get you the same types of things you care about there. And those are kind of like examples that you wouldn't necessarily think about intuitively, but came about because of the way we thought about writing those journeys and the opportunities that live there. So that's, that's where I think you, you know, can bring out novel solutions or breakthrough ideas that, um, can really make a difference in a product's overall experience. And then, and then from there, obviously, you know, you work through the, once you've got the story, you can put pen to paper and, and obviously create great UI and prototype from that. Obviously that requires great designers and great design work still. It's not, you know, it goes without saying that that's critical, but I think the point is more like the, the other things you're doing up front really set you up for doing great work and you prototype that and you obviously iterate on it, get great feedback. And then from there it becomes the last step is really bringing it together, bringing the story with the UI, making that a storytelling moment. I've done that in different forms. Sometimes it can be an illustrated movie. Sometimes it can be a formal video with actors and UI and sort of seeing it in place, but it's a meaningful story where you can kind of see the arc of that story and how the product can really help people and how the company and the product can kind of sit in the middle of that, that I think really helps bring it all to life and then helps, you know, teams internally really understand where a product can go and spark a lot of ideas and future, you know, based stuff. And then Usually that leads to, hey, we, we love all these things. Like, let's start to roadmap them and make them real, which then becomes, you know, it, you know typical iterative process of product development. I'd love to hear about the research stage where you decide what problems are even worth thinking about, what directions. Because if you're a relatively large product, you would have dozens of different directions and product parts that could be improved. Yeah. I mean, I think that it, it boils down to leaning in on the expertise of the team and the leadership group. Obviously the research team will bring a lot of insights to the initial synthesis phase where the team is trying to identify what those opportunities might be and who we're designing for. Same can be true with data science, bringing insights, um, as well as market research. Um, you know, so the team is ultimately consuming a lot of possibilities but there's other experts that exist too like with with patreon we have a creator partnerships team we have a creator success team we have our creator community teams they are like fully embedded talking to creators all the time so for us they're a great source of inspiration and knowledge and so leaning in on our experts is and, and our not understanding of research is really where the work begins and then it's 
really discussing and understanding and sort of debating where we go from there with our groups, with, you know, in partnership with product, product management, as well as leadership. And <clears throat> it's trying to reach alignment when there's not, not alignment. It's a case where, well, Hey, we, maybe we need more information or maybe we just need to make a gut call and make a bet. You know, it's not always cut and dry. Sometimes it's obviously conviction intuition that really drives the, the discussions, but usually just the act of doing it means that there's more deep thinking time happening that leads to pretty good alignment, a pretty good, you know, direction for the team itself to go and do the work. Do you apply you and product team apply your own judgment to sort of clusterize uh, the insights into certain areas that then are taken to the brainstorm or does the brainstorm crowd have just a vast access to the, to every insight you have on the table? I mean, I think the the work of synthesizing around the opportunities means that it's much, much easier for everyone to consume. Mm-hmm. I mean, it also gives you like, you know, in some ways, guardrails of areas to focus in on. Inevitably, people might go beyond that, but it's, you know, really the responsibility of the core team to manage that and sort of mm-hmm. and keep things moving in the right direction. But yeah, the, in many ways, the, hey, we're going to focus on this problem today. And how might we solve for that is really the call to action for the brainstorm team, which I think ultimately leads to a lot of focus and effectiveness in terms of like driving the right kind of, you know, ideation that's happening. It's really amazing. Before we went into this recording, I wasn't familiar with the concept of a design vision program, but then I realized that we're actually in the middle of one (laughs) and we embark on one every couple of years when we do like a massive round of research and we usually have like two, three features we think could be the next big ones, sort of translated into plain product English. And then we just do, but we're also open to learning some surprising things that might be outside of this. And then we just do massive amount of interviews to learn in a freeform way versus like some targeted whatever. So yeah, it's a very, very powerful thing. I'm really curious. You mentioned doing it once with the whole company. I imagine that was a very big company. It wasn't a huge meeting, was it? I'm hoping. No. So asynchronous brainstorming. Tell us. Tell us how to do it. Well, yeah. So it was, I've done it twice. I did it at Trulia and Facebook. At Trulia, we did company-wide brainstorming. And at the time, there were about 200 employees within the company. And what we did was we ultimately hosted five different brainstorms where we, we knew there was a, you know, there's a capacity of like no more than 20 in, in any one brainstorm. So we ultimately just scheduled and hosted multiple brainstorms and people could sign up for them. They were, they're sort of volunteer sign up to be a part of it. Most people were extremely enthusiastic about going. And so we ultimately did it that way. And then each of the core team members facilitated a brainstorm, and then we kind of collated all of the work and the findings and then synthesized that even further to, hey, where do we think the biggest, you know, design solutions can live? So that was really what, you know, know, is how we managed it. You know, brainstorming has, I think there's like pros and cons to it. You know, group think there's people that have strong philosophies that that's not a great approach. But like I said, it wasn't that we went in with an assumption that we would get lots and lots of new ideas 
I think it was really about bringing the company along, giving them visibility, giving them the chance to participate. There were tons of ideas that had been generated over the last couple of years at Trulia. So it wasn't that we were lacking or short of ideas, but just the act of doing it brought a lot of those requests and ideas to the forefront. And it gave the team a lot of sense of like where the energy and enthusiasm was while also, you know, adding to, you know, the work that was being done by the team itself. After the brainstorms, um, is it always that there is a clear winner evolving or as you mentioned, does there need to be a compromise or a gut feel decision or something made? In many ways, there's no one solution here. It's really, you know, if you're doing it well, you're talking about something that's maybe the next, you know, is two years away, five years away, 10 years away. A great story with a great vision has many ideas sort of stitched together that show that journey and that that longitudinal opportunity, while probably having a mix of stuff that feels far off as well as stuff that's nearer term. So even with the Trulia vision, we had explorations that were leaning into AR. We had then some nearer term things, which were just neighborhood pages where you could kind of, you know, go to a neighborhood and see what it was like. So there, there wasn't really ever a compromise. It was really more about bubbling up the great ideas and, you know, bringing them together, but doing it through a way that felt very human and people oriented while also you know, finding the right balance of near-term, future-term um, inspiration. Do you feel like uh, you've been then consistently executing on those roadmaps or do you fall into the side of the spectrum where you do like shape up methodology where you just plan for the, for the next couple features or one feature and then you just keep learning, keep learning and keep learning? I think inevitably one of the harder parts about a vision program is keeping it going for the longer term, right? Mm -hmm. So it's generally quite easy to manage and facilitate it in the earlier days. As you get more people that are joining that, that are new that maybe weren't part of it or six months or a year later, there can be a risk that people can forget it. You're ultimately having to champion that perspective and that vision longer term. And sometimes that can manifest through an iteration of the vision, or it can manifest through commitment to doing new features and experiences that you've kind of shepherded and continued to discuss and share. Sometimes it's just, you have to be repetitive and you have to recommunicate and educate folks constantly. I don't think I've really cracked that part personally, but I think that that's a, an important aspect to the progress, you know, seeing the progress happen from the vision. And maybe that's also a reason why it's always good to do it maybe every couple of years, because it gives you the chance to reset, course correct, repeat, reintroduce, where some things may have been, you know, much, much harder, but now are actually much more attainable. And it gives you the chance to, yeah, kind of bring those ideas back that maybe felt like they were shelved. Do you ever feel like you yourself have been forgetting anything from the roadmap? Like, or being the champion, you're still a human, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've, got, I've not got the best memory. So yeah, I forget things all the time, for sure. But, you know, I'm also around lots of other people that will remind me and, you know, 
it usually, as a result of the exciting stuff that's happening, there's always a champion of some sort for some idea that is hard to forget and that someone will be you know, bugging me about. So that's that's not usually the challenge for me. What are your favorite resources, books, articles that could help our listeners learn more about the method? This is not a thing that I think is is you know specifically unique. I think that I don't know if there's great books written about it. I mean, certainly the closest things to this are really a you know in the form of design sprints or design thinking. But I think I'm sort of practically talking more about it as a playbook with real world implications that is much more actionable. And also where I see teams not really leaning into it enough. So they're missing the opportunity to have a lot of influence as a design group or as, as just as an organization in general. But I don't know that there's like a book that I could point to that says, oh yeah, this is it. Um, I think that maybe the simplest way of framing it is if you took a design sprint and you spread it out over two months and you invested a lot more time upfront in the understanding phase, and then you had much more intention about the output as a overarching narrative with stories, that would be probably the closest thing you could get to it. But there's, I don't know that there's a place where there's a, like a how-to of, of what this looks like. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today. If people want to learn more about your work and yourself, where can they go? I'm a bit more of a quiet person, so I don't do a lot online, but you know, obviously I'm on LinkedIn a fair bit. Really where I'm at is I'm at Patreon building the design team, and we are certainly hiring designers and researchers. And if you're excited about the creator economy, if you're excited about creativity in general, and, you know, thinking about the future of content and community and also design and vision work that can kind of lead into the future, that's probably the best place to look me up and, and have a chat. And we'd be, you know, we'd be excited to, to get to know you. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Nick, and have a wonderful rest of your week. Thanks. You too.